Aloha, and thank you for joining us on our exciting adventure of walking through the New Testament as a participant in a life group. Open your heart to what God may be saying to you as we endeavor not only to hear His Word, but to obey. Here now is our Bible teacher, Pastor Jim Morocco. The Apostle John has shared with us already in the first four verses of the book of John the beauty of the word of life, of who Jesus is, this reality, and the proclamation that we share that can truly bring life. Well, John goes on now in verse 5 to tell us what the message is that we have received from the Lord. And the important thing is that the message that is being declared is not something that is dreamed up. But John mentions that it was transmitted to him by the Lord himself. The message is profound, and here it is, John says, God is light, in him is no darkness at all. Now one of the problems John had to contend with were heretics who boasted about secret knowledge that they had. This secret knowledge exempted them from sin. They taught that a truly spiritual man was incapable of sin no matter what he did. See, one could be righteous uh, without necessarily doing righteousness. And they could do what they wanted to in the body and still be spiritual. And that was what these false teachers were teaching. But the fact that God is light shows how wrong these heretics are. It is God's nature to reveal himself. So thus, these heretics' claim to secret private knowledge does not fit God's character. Secondly... Light symbolizes righteousness, moral purity. And these heretics claim to know God, yet do not live morally. So that what they're saying is seen to be completely false. Now in verse 6, through chapter 2, verse 2, John uses the statement, If we say, and by that statement, he is introducing the three false claims of the false teachers or heretics. What one says must be tested by the truth that God is light. Therefore, one's behavior must line itself up with this truth. If one says they are a Christian, which John means when he says we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, walk, meaning habitually live, in darkness or moral impurity, John goes on to say we lie and do not the truth. One is saying they are a Christian, but they are lying, for in their actions they are saying something totally different. They're telling a different story. They do not do according to the truth. Well, John continues on and says, However, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that is, if we sincerely attempt to live our lives open, exposed to the Lord, not tolerating sin in our lives, and conforming our lives to his revealed will for us, there will be certain results. The first result is that we will have fellowship with one another. Now, that is critical here because it says how important fellowship really is. We will have fellowship. One writer has seen in John's remarks an interesting point. Exodus 10, 22 and 23 states of the thick darkness that prevailed in all the land of Egypt three days, they sought not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. What happened when the plague of darkness brought upon the Egyptians took place, it literally stopped fellowship with others. And one individual has said that when light came, that fellowship was restored. So it is true spiritually that when we walk in light, we have true Christian fellowship. If we're not walking in the light, it's impossible to have true Christian fellowship. We have right relationship with our Christian brothers. 
John says, the second result of walking in the light is that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The way John says this shows that God does more than just forgive. He erases the stain of sin, and by the fact that the verb cleanses is in the present tense, it shows that it is a continual process, something that goes on constantly. As we walk in the light, we see more clearly the little sins we do, and we realize our continual need of cleansing. John refers to the fact that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. He's referring to the gracious act of God in appropriating forgiveness to all who believe through the death of Christ on the cross. The far-reaching effect of what Christ did is seen in that Jesus cleanses from all sin. Those sins that were committed unconsciously and the results of our fallen nature, he can cleanse us of all sin. Now, the point is that if we are walking in the light, God has done what is needed to cleanse us from any sin that would ruin our fellowship with God and others. Well, the second claim of the heretics was that they had no sin. It seems that they were saying no matter what they did outwardly, there was no sin in their nature. It also could mean that these false teachers were not guilty or responsible for any sin. To them, sin was a matter of the flesh and it couldn't affect their spiritual life. Well, John says that they are self-deceived. They're not only liars now, but they're self-deceived. Now, how do we handle sin? John begins to deal with that. We don't deny its reality. We confess our sin. If we will do this because of God being faithful and just, he will forgive us and cleanse us, John says. Well, throughout God's word, God is faithful to his promises. And one important promise is that of mercy to one who repents. Yet John mentions that God is just. As Exodus 34, 7 states, he will by no means clear the guilty. Now, if this is true, how can he forgive us? Well, this opens the whole vista of what John describes in the first two verses of chapter 2, and we'll mention that in a moment. But suffice it to say that God's justice is met on the cross. Christ died in our place, therefore God stands in the position to be able to forgive us if we'll only confess our sins. We must call them to mind, we must confess them, and we must forsake them. Well, the third heretical claim is seen by the words, if we say that we have not sinned, it is the belief that they had never done anything sinful. They were incapable of sinning. Well, to say this is not just to tell a lie or to be deluded, but it is actually accusing God of lying. It clearly shows that God's word is not in them because God's word makes it very plain that sin is universal. For example, in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, this brings us then to the beauty of what John says in chapter 2. He opens his remarks with the phrase, My little children. Now, this phrase reflects John's advanced age. He is probably now in the latter years of his life, in his 80s or 90s, and also he shows his, affect his affection and concern for his flock. His desire is that they will not sin. Now, the interesting point here is that it's easy for one to maybe misunderstand what John has said up until this point. Someone would say, well, if we're all sinners, why be concerned about being holy? It's impossible. Or, if the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, why worry about it? If we can sin, he'll just forgive us, so no problem. Well, to counter such shallow thinking, John states, I'm writing this that you will not sin. See, John is aware of Jesus' command that, in fact, John himself records in the Gospel of John, in John 5.14 and 8.11, the words of Jesus would state, Sin no more. 
Yet on the other hand, he adds, if any man sins, God has made provision. It seems that a very clear distinction is being made between a person who habitually sins or makes a lifestyle of sin and one who does a single act of sin. John expands on this later in the book. See, a true Christian is no longer bound to a lifestyle of sin. He's no longer bound by this continual habitual action of sinning. But John does state that you sin not. However, if you do sin, provision is made. It's not God's plan for you to sin, but if you do sin, we have a paraclete or an advocate. The Greek word literally means one summoned to the side of another, an aide or a lawyer in a court case, the counsel for the defense. You could interpret the word paraclete in that way. By the fact that one who commits sin needs a lawyer before the father clearly indicates the peril one is in. He has committed sin and he's in deep peril, but John clearly states that Jesus is our advocate before the Father. See, he defends us against the accuser, the devil. And Jesus alone can do this because he is, as John would state, Jesus Christ the righteous. He was fully man, he's the Messiah, and his character was that of being righteous. He's never sinned. Well, it's interesting to note that John uses the word paraclete or advocate also in the Gospel of John for the Holy Spirit. You can look at John 14, 16 and other passages. Well, the picture is that we have an advocate in heaven who is Jesus. We have an advocate in heaven before the Father and before the accuser of the brethren. And then the Holy Spirit is Jesus' paraclete on earth. The Holy Spirit pleads Christ's case before a hostile world. Well, John goes on to conclude this section by describing our advocate. We, yes, we have an advocate before the Father, someone who defends our case before God, but he is the propitiation for our sin. He is not saying that we're not guilty. He very clearly knows we're guilty. But the defense that he makes on our behalf is a defense on what he has done for us. The word here, propitiation, shares the main condition that man is in. And that is that he is a sinner. The word means the removal of wrath by the offering of a gift. God is angry over sin. Divine judgment is a reality. Man stands then in the place of God's wrath. John states Jesus is the propitiation. That is, he himself took the full weight of his father's wrath so we no longer need to suffer God's wrath for sin. And he has done this for the whole world. No need for man to continue under God's wrath because Jesus Christ has paved the way for forgiveness through his death on the cross. This is Christ's defense for us. He himself has taken on the wrath for sin. This knowledge of Jesus being our advocate and propitiation encourages us to confess our sin and to continue to live a life free of sin, made holy, pure, and clean. I'll be back in a moment with the application. In applying this passage to our lives, we've got to realize something, that we live in a world that has a very mixed-up idea of sin. In fact, what has happened in our world is that we've been so involved in darkness that people don't even realize what sin is anymore. In fact, there's one psychologist who wrote a book concerned about this problem, and the title of the book is, Whatever Happened to Sin? You see, our world has interpreted every one of man's failures or problems as psychological or sociological. That is, that it's not really that person's fault, it's somebody else's fault. They've been caught up in the whole lie that Eve gave at the very beginning. And that is, it's not my fault, God, that I sinned. It's the serpent's fault. Or Adam's word to the Lord saying, well, it wasn't me, it was the woman you gave me. In reality, it's your fault, God, because you gave me this woman. See, we always want to blame others for our sin. 
Or we want to simply dismiss it and say there's no such thing as sin. There's simply mistakes that people have made, things that aren't really bad, just not as relevant as the way some people talk. No, the problem is sin, and John makes it very clear. We've got to deal with sin. If we say we've not sinned, or if we say we really don't have to worry about sin because it's not a part of our nature, or that we don't sin, we're lying. We're deceived. In fact, we are going against the very character of God who's made it very clear that sin is real. Now, what happens oftentimes when we get into problems, when we get into difficulties, we always attempt to look at the sin of others and not realize our own sin lies at our doorstep. And I found in counseling that a lot of times the real need is for there to be a working of the Spirit to expose the sin that that person himself or herself is having to deal with so that they have to repent. Now, we need to be aware of that in our own lives, our own sinfulness. Now, we don't like to hear that because all of us think we're perfect, but we all at times have bad attitudes. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. Well, rather than just thinking that is simply a shortcoming of mine and uh, it's one of my personality problems I have to deal with, I mean, we can wrap it up in all kinds of ways to rationalize what we've done. Rather than do that, we ought to repent of that sin. Otherwise, we'll be deceived. Now, another thing that is very clear here is that we are dealing with, really, the conception of truth. And the truth is, is that God is light. And he calls on us to walk in the light. That is, he wants to expose in our lives those things that are not of him. Those dark corners of our lives, those dark closets, those things his light needs to penetrate. Now, how does that come about? It comes about through the reading of God's word. It comes about through the fellowship of believers. It comes about through being in a position to hear God's word, a message that would be given, an openness and willingness to be corrected by one another, hearing even those that are close to you, like a husband or a wife. Not being so defensive every time somebody says something to us. But hearing it as the voice of God to deal with those areas in our lives that do not reflect light, but are part of the darkness and areas that the enemy can so easily control in our lives. Now we realize here that the scripture says we need to walk in the light. Now if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, very clear here walking in the light, that is our lifestyle needs to be characterized by God's revelation of who he is. We need to live like him. We need to be like him. We need to be holy, as Jesus said, be holy as your heavenly father is holy. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Be ye holy for I am holy, the scripture says. Now let's not lose that. Let's not lose that as a desire, the basic intent of our heart. If we lose that, We are in a very real peril of being deceived and deluded because truth is not that which we say so much as as that which we do. No such thing as abstract truth in Scripture. It's the concrete living of one's life for the Lord. Now, some people, especially even here, are new Christians. They're saying things. Their mouth is foul. Some things are said. Things are done. Shouldn't be said. Shouldn't be done. You're walking in the light. Don't have anything to do with the darkness that you used to do. You say, boy, Pastor, you're really getting on a soapbox. Yes, I am. Because God wants us to walk in the light and not be deceived. That brings us then to the point that when we are walking in the light, some neat things are happening. We're having fellowship with God and with the brethren. And if we're not in good fellowship with God, we're not good fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we know something's wrong. And we need to deal with that. We need to seek God on that. 
And secondly, a consciousness of sin and a confession of sin. You know, somebody says, well, now, Pastor, you know, I, uh, you know, I really blew it and I just don't believe God loves me anymore. Now, wait a minute. Stop. The very truth of this passage is also the fact that you no longer have to be condemned. If you sin, get it right with God because his blood cleanses you. You have an advocate with the Father. Jesus has done what is needed to be done. Don't let the enemy keep beating you over the head. If you've sinned, you confess it, repent, and get on with living for God. And everybody said hallelujah. <laughs> we need that. We need that assurance to know that God is there to forgive. Don't have a lifestyle of sin. Don't rationalize your lifestyle and say, well, God will forgive me. I can keep doing this. No. Sin is a darkness. It's a bondage. Live a life free of that. But be aware of the fact that if you sin, God will forgive you if you honestly come and ask for forgiveness. I've seen too many people in my ministry that never, ever really grow in God because they spend much of their time feeling condemned. They come to Christ and they feel like, well, now I'm perfect. No, you'd be made perfect in Christ and you need to start living that way. But if you sin, don't let the enemy say to you a line that he always says, well, see, you can't make it. You can never be a Christian. Forget it. Go back into your sin. Don't do it. Confess your sin to the Lord, know his forgiveness, and get on with living for him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to share your word together. I pray that we will not be confused, not be confused over that which you have so clearly stated. You are light. Your conception to us is very clear. We're either in your light or we're in darkness. Father, you've made it very clear there's no middle ground. Father, help us to be people who walk in the light, who have fellowship with you and sense your closeness and your cleansing from all sin and a willingness to confess our sin, Lord, to you. Take away all pride. Cause us to be people broken before you so that we can walk in your light. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.